as Brian Fakes uh, has already mentioned. We've got Terry Norris coming in. He's going to speak with us about God's healing. He's the community care pastor at Harvester Christian Church, so uh, let's give him a big round of applause, and he's going to speak to us today. It's good morning. It's, it's good to be here with you guys. Um, I just developed a newfound appreciation and respect for Brian to um, have to preach here every weekend with you guys sitting in chairs that are so comfortable. But before we get started, we're going to dive into a passage in Matthew 8 where uh, Jesus heals a leper. And before we get started, we're going to um, see a testimonial of one of our church members at Harvester. And I think as we talk this morning, you're going to see there's some parallels between these verses in Matthew 8 and Sheila's story. And so what the goal is today is we're going to walk through this story and see some steps that we can take that this leper took and that Sheila took that, that draw us closer towards God's healing. So we're going to see a testimony, and then we'll dive right in. My name is Sheila. I have suffered through sex abuse, codependency, and other addictive behaviors. I was born March 25, 1968, to Thomas and Glenda Stewart. My father was in the Army serving in Vietnam when I was born. He wasn't able to see me until he returned home six months later. His experience in the war changed my father, and he was never quite the same. I was a year and a half old when he and my mother divorced. Larry didn't care for children, but he loved my mother. He tolerated me because I was well-behaved. I remember always trying to win his acceptance and approval. He lived with my mother several years before getting married when I was six. I don't remember a lot of details from my childhood other than playing with friends and keeping a dark secret for years. The abuse started when I was five and continued until I was 12. I loved my father and I knew I wouldn't see him again if my mother found out. So it wasn't until he passed suddenly in his sleep at 48 years of age that I actually said anything. My life was filled with broken promises from family, from friends. I learned I couldn't trust anyone to keep their word. So I poured myself into school. And although I got good grades, they weren't good enough. I felt forgotten, overlooked, and things would soon get worse. When my sister was six months old, she developed cerebral palsy, along with a long list of other conditions. Having been an only child for 14 years and struggling to feel noticed, I became jealous of my sister and the constant attention she required. I remember fighting with my mom because I was always the babysitter, not being asked, just told. This was when I started smoking cigarettes and making poor decisions for myself. When I was 16, I started drinking after a friend of mine was killed by a drunk driver, a very close friend. I started hanging out at the clubs even though I was underage. I became very promiscuous and enjoyed the attention I got from men. I started missing work and ultimately my mother kicked me out of the house. Dennis is 10 years older than me. He wanted to take care of me and that was something I felt I needed. We met in September, were engaged in October, and then in April we found out I was pregnant. So at this point, I'm 19, engaged, and pregnant. This was when Dennis became abusive. Looking back, we shouldn't have gone through with the wedding, but we did. 
We were married on June 25th, 1988. After a few months, our son was born, and we started to attend church together. At first, I really didn't feel I was connecting with God at all. It wasn't until we started attending a Bible study that I felt Jesus calling out to me. I remember studying a book called The Bondage Breaker. Jesus was knocking on the door of my heart, and in one group meeting, I let him in. It was an emotional time, because I knew right away I had to face the sex abuse of my father and my uncle. The first major work God did in my life was to help me forgive my uncle. <laughs> that wasn't enough. He also told me I had to completely forgive my father, and that I wasn't ready to do. I was terrified by that thought. I didn't know how I was supposed to let my dad off the hook. But God took that fear and said, let go. He's still on my hook and he will have to account for that. Then it was gone and I was completely liberated from the weight of that unforgiveness that I had been carrying. A few years ago, a friend invited me to a Celebrate Recovery meeting. I soon realized I needed it just as much as any addict or alcoholic. It truly is for anyone with any hurt, habit, or hang-up. I was supported, encouraged, and blessed by this ministry. This summer, I'm helping to start a Celebrate Recovery program at Harvester, and I can't wait. I love to see people around me come to Christ. I have learned that God's blessings aren't what He gives us. It's what He does through us. I know every day that I wake up means that God isn't finished with me yet. God is bigger than all my issues, difficulties, and struggles combined. I know the most important thing is for people to see Christ in me, and that's why I love Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery has taught me to live every day intentionally, to support others who need your help, and to live a life full for the Lord. I am so blessed to know that now I'm able to help others because of what I've experienced and what I continue to go through. I was broken, and now, through the love of Christ, I can be healed. We are um, in the body of Christ who can heal us from all these things that Sheila talks about, but also that we're part of a church that wants that healing to be put out there, and there are people in this church who um, aren't ashamed or afraid to share that. The program Sheila was talking about is called Celebrate Recovery, and we actually just launched it two weeks ago on a Monday night on September 10th. It, um, it meets every Monday night at 7 at the uh, central campus of Harvester in the Student Center, and then there's meetings all over the county. Um, so if, if you are dealing with any hurt, habit, or hang-up, and you want to find a Christ-centered 12-step program that you can go to and look for some healing and find some, some wellness there, there are places all over St. Charles County that offer a Celebrate Recovery meeting. And... You know, the, the thing about Celebrate Recovery is that it's based on eight principles from the Beatitudes. And, and those first three principles are kind of what we're going to look at today. If you look in uh, Matthew 8, in verse 1 through 4 there, I want to read that to you, and then we're going to dive into this, and I, I hopefully you'll see how those first three principles of healing that Sheila found in Celebrate Recovery and the three steps that, that this leper took kind of all come together and give us access to that now today. So let me read these verses to you. It says, When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. 
And a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed, and Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Let me pray before we dive into this. Father, I thank you so much this morning that that we can come together and and examine your word and find your truth, Lord. I pray that it... uh, it's spoken today in its fullness, and God, if in my ignorance I, in error, speak anything less than the fullness of your truth, Lord, I pray that it doesn't find any home in the ears of many hearers in here today, God, but that only the fullness of your truth would, would resound. Lord, I pray that um, you open our hearts to ourselves, you open our hearts to you, and you help us find that place that, that will allow us to experience that deep healing that Sheila spoke of that comes only through your Son. It's in his name that we offer this time to you. Amen. So what we've got is, we've got this leper coming to Jesus who desperately needs a healing. And he bows down, he says to him, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And and Jesus obviously says, I'm willing. Now, I want to talk about a couple things before we dive in. The first thing I want to do is I want to talk about God's healing. Because I know that all of us have had times in our lives where we prayed, we begged, we sought God in all kinds of ways for things to be resolved or healed within us, whether it's a, a circumstance or an illness or or a loved one who's struggling with a disease, and sometimes there's no resolution to it. And so please understand, I'm not saying that if we do these things, God always heals us. But what I want to do is, first, I want to give us a background of when God heals. Because I believe there's three times that God heals. He heals for three reasons. And the first one is kind of in Isaiah 43:25, where where Isaiah hears from God, and God says, I, even I, Forgive your sins for my own name's sake. So that kind of shows us that God heals for his glory. The ultimate healing is forgiveness of sins, right? So when we're cleansed of our sins, we are healed. But God heals for his own glory. And we see that in Isaiah. And then in Matthew 15, where these crowds are seeing Jesus do all these healings, and they're seeing the the lame walk, and and the sick be clean, and the mute speak, and the crippled are, are, are now dancing. And it says they glorified the God of Israel. So once again, in Matthew 15, God heals for his own glory. And then there's another example in Mark 2, in verse 10. It says, when Jesus encountered this this man who was crippled, laying on his mat, and he said, take up your mat and walk. And everyone saw this, and and they began to be amazed and were glorifying God. So we've we've got three examples in Scripture there where God heals for his own glory. So that's the first reason God heals. The second reason God heals is for my holiness. Christ came that we would be made whole, that we would be made well. And you think in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, Therefore be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So in Mark 10, there's an example of this. Jesus heals Bartimaeus, a blind man on the road. And he, and he tells him, and he says, Immediately he regained his sight and he began following him on the road. So this man is now seeing and he's following Jesus, which is holiness for us as we follow him. And then in Ma- Matthew 9, it says, they, they, again, he healed this paralytic. And it says, take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. So Jesus tells this man, your sins are forgiven. So he heals for our holiness. So we know God heals for his own glory. We know he heals for our holiness. It's his desire that we be made well, which is holiness. And then the last time he heals is for his own choosing. This is the part where we don't necessarily want to deal with God. Because often we feel like, okay, Lord, you are in control. It's my desire, but, but I need this healing. 
And so God heals when he chooses to heal. And there's an example of this in 1 Samuel in, in chapter 3 and verse 18. And I'll give you a little background. But Samuel was this young man. His mother had been praying to God for a son. And, and she finally has a son. And she says, Lord, if you give me a son, I'll commit him into your service. So she takes him to the priest, Eli, and, and says, Eli, here is my son. I'm giving him back to God. You raise him up into the priesthood. And so Samuel's living with Eli, and Eli's raising him into the priesthood. And, and the problem is this. Eli was the priest of Israel, but he had some sons that were kind of scoundrels. So they would take the best offerings that came in to, to, to God and keep them for themselves, and, and they would manipulate things, and, and they were getting rich off their service in the priesthood. And God knew this. So one night God comes to Samuel and says, Samuel, wake up, I need to talk to you. And, and Samuel says, okay, Lord, what is it? And he says, you need to know this. I'm getting ready to wipe out Eli's house because they've dishonored the priesthood. They've used my calling to make themselves wealthy. And so the next morning, young Samuel wakes up, and Eli goes, hey, I heard you talking to God last night. What did he say? And Samuel goes, ah, I can't tell you that. He was scared. He was scared to let Eli know what was going on. And finally, Eli convinces Samuel to tell him what, what God has told him. And Samuel says, look, here's the deal. Because your sons have been so dishonorable and tried to make themselves wealthy off of their calling, God is going to wipe away your house. And this is the best line in the Bible to me because Eli responds to Samuel and he says in, in, in chapter 3 and verse 18 in 1 Samuel, he says, he is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. You know, I love that because in essence what Eli is saying is I am absolutely, totally surrendered to God. Let him do with me what he will. And so therein lies the struggle that we have. We have these, this desire to see God glorified. We have this desire to be made holy. Yet we live in a fallen world that keeps us from reaching that. And so ultimately all we can do is rely on God's choosing. And so that's where Eli landed. Now, so that's when God heals. The next question is, what is God's healing? We all have a picture in our heads. I know we do. We all have, have things in our lives that we wish weren't there that God would take from us or our illness, our circumstances, our financial issues, and all these things. But we need to come to a, a better understanding of what God's healing truly is. So let's look at Matthew, or excuse me, Romans 8, verse 22 and 23. It says, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So the truth of it is that, that God's healing is something we all need because we are all in a state of groaning, longing to be restored to what he made us to be. So in essence, God's healing is us as he made us to be, not as we are. And so here's the problem that we all have. Here's the, the point where a place like Celebrate Recovery becomes relevant to all of us. Because we all have hurts, habits, and hang-ups for one reason. We've, we've all been taken as God made us to be and mushed through the meat grinder of a fallen and sinful world. And what came out the other side was this. And so none of us are what we were made to be. None of us living this life right now are what God made us to be. And if you go to John 8, verse 36, you'll see that Jesus' mission was to free us from this. This thing that we are, stuck in a fallen world, where it's impossible to be all that God made us to be. And so in, in, in John 8, Jesus says, if 
the Son makes you free, then you're free indeed. So to me, that begs the question, free to be what? Free to do what I want? Free to live how I want to live? Or is it free to be what God made me to be in spite of living in a fallen world? And I think it's pretty clear that Jesus came to set us free so that we could be all that God made us to be, not who the world's made us into, not what people around us have made us into, not what we've made ourselves into. And so, in essence, free to live. So Jesus' mission was to come to set us free to live. So that begs another question. What does it mean to live? What does it mean to be alive? Well, look at John 10.10. It says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So Jesus came to set us free. We all need to be set free because Romans 8 tells us that we're all groaning and longing to be restored to what we were made to be. He wants us to be free, free to live, free to live a life that's more abundant than the one we've got. So in essence, where we land is life was his mission. Now think about it for eons and ages since human mind has been able to to think and record anything. All of the history of the world, what's been the number one question we've all asked? What is life? What is life? Think about the, the, the efforts that science has made to define it, the efforts that philosophers have made to define it, to, to make it clear, the efforts that culture and society and popular culture have made to tell us this is life and you can have it now. This car, this house, this job, these clothes, there's your life. This feeling, this beer, this person, this shape of your body, this hair color. And the truth of it all is that none of it's life. And so as Christians, as the church, why are we asking what is life when there's an answer right here? And so the answer is this in John 17, 3. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So as a church, our question should never be, what is life? But how do we get it? Because we know as a church from the words of Jesus in the garden, as he's praying his last prayer before he dies, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so a real brief, quick Greek lesson flyover for you, and then we're going to dive into the meat of this, this message. But the word that Jesus used in John 10 and in John 17 was a Greek word, zoe. And it's a word that, that means transcendent life. Life that moves beyond this earth, this flesh, this worldly place. It's living into the eternal while being stuck in the temporal. It's a life fully devoted and committed to God. Now you've got to contrast that with the other Greek word for life. It's the word bios, which basically means the period or duration of being alive. Functioning as a living thing. That's all bios is. So we've got this picture of Jesus going, I, I came that you may have zoe and have it more abundantly. And the world going, here's bios, come get it. Eat it up, drink it up. You'll feel better if you just had more bios. And the truth of it is that healing comes as we step into zoe away from bios. So the ultimate healing of God then, God's healing is to live that life that is that zoe as opposed to that life that is that bios. And what Sheila was talking about there is moving from the, the failings of her bios life, the hurts, 
the abuse, the addiction, the suffering into that God-centered life, that Zoe kind of life. And that's where she found freedom. And I know Sheila, and Sheila has helped me a lot get this Celebrate Recovery ministry going. And she would never tell you that life is perfect today, that she does not have any habits or hurts or hang-ups that she'd like to get rid of. But she is actually living that Zoe life now. And so what I want to do is I want to dive into three principles with that all as a background that kind of lead us to the place where we can find Zoe. I think these three things are critical in pursuing that. And it's what true healing is. And so those principles start with three things. The first is a knowledge of ourselves. The second is a knowledge of God. And then the third thing, where all all those things ultimately lead, is to an act of surrender. So I want to walk through this story of this leper who came to Jesus seeking healing, seeking to be cleansed. And I want to walk through it with those three things as the goal. How do we know ourselves more? How do we know God more? And how do we commit to that place of surrender. So in verse 2, we see that that leper, it says, and a leper came to him. Now, I want you to get a picture of leprosy in the context of first century Palestine and Israel in that day. Leprosy was a disease that was believed to be rooted in the spiritual, number one. They thought that it was, it was a result of some sin. Where it led to was separation from family, from society, and that you were, in essence, unclean, not only physically, but spiritually. So a leper in this day and age, when he walked down the street, he had to shout, unclean, so that people could part the way and get away from him. Once you realized you had leprosy, the anticipation of the rest of your life was to never be physically touched again by another human being, literally. Literally. Lepers were told, you need to go live outside of this place. You cannot be in society. They couldn't live with their family, their loved ones. So think what this man lost. He lost everyone he's ever known. He lost his job. He lost his way to make a living. Nobody wants to do business with somebody who's a leper. It was believed to be highly contagious. And so this man was stuck in a place of humiliation and fear apart from the rest of society. And he sees this large crowd following Jesus. And he decides he's going to overcome that humiliation and that fear. And he's going to go there. And so that that one line, and a leper came to him. To me, what that reveals about this man's heart was it was a heart that was so desperate that he would have done whatever he needed to do to be next to Christ. He would have had to suffer through humiliation of walking through a crowd of people shouting that he's unclean. He would have had to suffer the humiliation of people backing away, running from him, making sure that even the edge of their garment didn't brush up against him. And yet he still came to him. And so what I see in this leper is that first principle of recovery that Celebrate Recovery presses into that comes straight from the Beatitudes. And that principle is this. Realize I'm not God. I admit I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. Do you see that this guy realized he wasn't God? He recognized God when he saw him, but he knew he was powerless. He knew there was nothing within himself that could bring him to a place of healing himself of this dreaded disease that had taken his life and that he knew was terminal. He lost everything that was living and was waiting to die. That's all he had. And yet still, he pushed through that to come to Jesus. Now, in Romans 7, in verse 18 and 19, We all need to come to that same realization that Paul lays out for us here. This principle one realization that I am not God, that I admit I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing 
and that my life is unmanageable. And Paul reiterates that in Romans 7 in these verses here. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. See, we need to all recognize right now that we're stuck in a pattern of self and flesh that pulls us away from that Zoe life, that godly life that he created us for, yet we cannot live. And it draws us into the depths of sin and self. See, Zoe comes only from God. That, that life focused on God, that transcendent life, can only come from him by his grace, which means we can't manage it. Do you see the truth for all of us in that first principle? Number one, I think we can all recognize right now that that, that first part of that first principle, I am not God, is true. I don't think any of us believe that. I think where it gets a little sticky sometimes, though, is that second part where it says, I admit I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing. See, this leper realized he could not be his own source of healing. Do you realize that this morning, that you cannot control your tendency to do the wrong thing? That we need something outside of ourselves to move to that? Do you see that because of that, we all need to be healed? We're all in a place of needing some deep healing. And so the truth of it is that apart from God's grace, I cannot stop doing all the horrible, wretched things I do. I can't work harder. I can't pray longer. I can't do better and have a result that would draw me closer to God. But what I can do is collapse into him. I can allow myself to do what this leper did and pull off everything that would hold me back from him and just go to him. And so the truth of it is that because it only comes by God's grace, our first step is to recognize we can't do it and do what this leper did and come to him. Now, I know most of us in this room have done that at some point. We've come to him and said, Lord, I need a Savior. I can't make it on my own. I need you to cleanse me. I'm not talking about that. If you haven't made that step, we need to do that today. But if you had, I'm talking about that coming to him moment after moment every single day of my life to desire that I become more of what he made me to be and less of who I made me to be. And so that coming to him has to happen over and over and over again. That's where our hurts, habits, and hang-ups get in the way. So we need to recognize three things about ourselves to press into this first principle. The first thing is, I am not God. The second thing is, I am powerless. And the third thing is, I am a very poor manager of my life. Once we come to that realization, then we're ready to go into the second principle that guided Sheila, that you also see in this leper. And that second principle says this, earnestly believe that God exists that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. Now, think what this leper did next. It says, and bowed down before him. Do you see in that reaction, that bowing down reaction? This is a man who came to Christ, and he came to Christ realizing, believing that he was God. The earnestness of his belief led him to his knees before him brought him to a place of bowing down. He recognized that he mattered to him because if he didn't think he mattered to Christ, he wouldn't have gone through the hassle of parting this crowd and getting there. And more importantly, he recognized he had the power to make him clean. That's why he bowed down. That's why he went to him and just laid down at his feet. See, 
that act reveals this leper's heart. This leper had a heart of worship and submission and trust. He saw the majesty and glory of Christ and desired it above all else. See, it was a response of worship, not need. We'll see this in a minute as we press into the story. But this man didn't come to Jesus because he needed him. He came to Jesus because he recognized that the appropriate spot for him in our lives was preeminent, supreme, above all else, with us worshiping him. And he came to him out of desire for Christ, not out of expedience of being made well. He didn't, he didn't seek healing. He sought Jesus. And we'll see that a little bit deeper in a moment here. But, but he saw that Christ was worthy of his worship. And before Jesus offered him anything, he came to him and bowed down. You know, there's a great quote by a guy named A.W. Tozer in a book he wrote called The Pursuit of God. And that quote is this. To have found God and still be looking for him is the soul's paradox of love. Think about that idea. To have found God and still be looking for him. That is what love is. See, this man knew that the invitation was to constantly seek God, to come into his presence, to desire him more. That's why he went and bowed down before he stated any need. He also understood what Paul would later write in Romans 12 too, that transformation comes from an interior spot, not an exterior place. In Romans 12, 2, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you see what Paul said there? Is the same thing that this leper did? That idea that when I make Christ the preeminent desire of my heart, when I allow my mind to be renewed in his truth of who he is, then my life will be transformed. That's what Sheila talked about. That's what Sheila found in Celebrate Recovery. That's what she found in the second principle. The idea that when I allow my mind to be transformed by truth, my life is changed. So the transformation on the outside is the product of a transformation on the inside. The problem we've got is this. Every one of us in this room has tapes that run through our minds. And those tapes have voices of people that have been in our lives that are important. No, you're not the only one. Trust me. But those, those things, those tapes, are voices of teachers and parents and friends and uncles and, and you know, people that have been in our lives, friends, other kids in school. And those tapes generally are lies that play throughout our lives, that keep our mind from being renewed, that keeps our lives from being transformed. And those are the, the tapes that we don't have to go through anything traumatic for that to be there, but it's simple words like, you're not good enough, or you've got to do more, or you'll never be okay are on and on and on and on and on. We all have those things. And so what we need to do is we need to allow our minds to be renewed so that our lives will be transformed. And so what happens is we tend to believe that the change hasn't come for us because we haven't worked hard enough, long enough, or well enough. When the truth of it is, transformation begins in our minds and our beliefs and our knowing. And so as we get to know God more our minds get renewed and our lives get transformed. So what happens is then my thoughts get replaced by God's thoughts. That's why it's so critical that we engage in these spiritual disciplines of reading our Bible, of praying, of sitting in silence and solitude in God's presence and letting Him just tell us who we are instead of letting the world tell us who we are and believing it 
and acting as if the world's right and God's wrong. So we're back to John 17, 3. Back to that idea of eternal life is knowing God and knowing Christ. So when our spiritual disciplines become a place of knowing God more deeply, knowing Christ more fully, then we get transformed. So the truth is this. God does exist. He is. That I matter to him, that you matter to him, we all matter to him. And that he wants to make us whole, he wants to make us well. You know, if you can accept those three foundational truths, if you can accept that God does exist, if you believe that, if you believe that you matter to him, and if you believe that he's made you, wants to make you well, then I want to invite you to do something. I want to invite you to come to a spot where you can see how all three of those things come together in Christ. If you've never accepted Christ, contemplate how those three things come together and laser focus in the person of Jesus. Because everything Jesus did was about the fact that we matter to him and he wants to make us whole. Now, there's a lot of people who who believe that there is a God, but they don't necessarily think we matter to him. There's a lot of people who believe there's a God, but think that he started all this and just took a hands-off approach and allows us to stumble through and fall apart at our own whim. Truth of it is, though, that's not the God who is God. If you have never accepted Christ, if you will just chew on the rest of this message, if you will chew on the effect that God does exist, that you matter to him, and that he wants to see you made well, there will be people who can help you see how that comes to laser focus in Christ at the end of this message. So let's walk back into principle two. Know that God is, know that God cares, and know that he wants me to be what he made me to be. Now, the last thing this leper did is just an amazing statement given his desperation. When you think about what a leper in that culture would have had to suffer through and how desperate they would have been, he makes this astounding statement to Jesus. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Think about that. Think about that idea. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Stuck in this place of absolute and utter devastation, with an illness that is terminal, that he knows is going to end in death, he has the audacity to go to Christ and say, if you're willing, you can make me clean. How many of us would do that? I know in the deepest places of my heart, if I were in his shoes and I came to Jesus, I wouldn't be saying, if you're willing, I would be begging, possibly even demanding, you make me well. Take all this, God, fix it. You see that this leper had the same heart that Eli had? He's the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. See, the thing is that this leper had already taken that step of surrender. Before he even got to Christ, he had surrendered to the authority, the sovereignty of Christ. He had surrendered to the fact that Christ wants to make him well. He had surrendered, in essence, to Romans 8.28 that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called to his purpose. He had surrendered to the fact that when that verse says good, he has no right to define it. He didn't define what was good in his own mind, in his own heart. He accepted that God has the right to define what is good, which puts us in a very difficult spot, living messy lives in a messy world. Because I think we've all been up against that wall 
where we felt like we couldn't take it anymore. Whatever was going on in our lives, we needed God to remove that thing right now. And I think we've also all heard the answer of not yet or no. And so we stay stuck. I'm not saying that surrender will allow us to get what we want from God. I'm saying just the opposite. Surrender will allow me to accept whatever God offers. And that's where peace comes in. That's where that life, that abundant life comes in. See, this leper in that statement of if you are willing, there was a collision that occurred there. It was a collision of worship and willingness. It was a collision of surrender and sovereignty. It's not wimpy faith, but fully trusting fully surrendered faith. It's the same faith that Jesus had in the garden when he went to God and said, Lord, I don't want to do this. I do not want to do this, but nevertheless, let your will be done. See, the fact that this statement is made by this leper implies he was already willing to accept whatever Jesus was willing to offer, which could have been, nah, walk away. It could have been, I'll heal you, but I won't restore you. It could have been the same message Lazarus got. That message of you've got to die before I'm going to raise you. See, but the truth of it is, when we are surrendered, we allow God to bring to us what he wants for us, recognizing that what he wants is what's best for us, whether we see it or not. That's exactly what this third principle of these eight principles of celebrate recovery comes to. It says, consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. See, it's an act of submission in that if you are willing, it's Christ's sovereignty above this man's comfort, welfare, even his life. He wanted to recognize that Christ was sovereign. It's a heart that so desires Christ that the question isn't, will God change my circumstances or how do I get God to change my circumstances, but how can I glorify God in my circumstances? That act of bowing down was glorifying Christ. That act of coming to Him was glorifying Christ. That act of saying, if you're willing, you can make me clean, was glorifying Christ. This is the hardest place for us as Christians to get to the place where we can sit in our own brokenness, our own hurt, our own pain, our own anguish, and say, Lord, I want you to change my circumstances, but if you choose not to, help me glorify you in them. I think everybody in this room has been in that place before where we struggled with things that we desperately needed or wanted. And I'd like to hope that we found a way to glorify God in that. That's what this man wanted. He wanted his circumstances to be whatever Christ wanted his circumstances to be as he glorified God in them. See, you've got to understand this. Christ is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. I think everybody in this room, if given the choice, would want to live a week this coming week that glorifies Christ above all else. And I'm going to tell you right now how you do it. You glorify Him. When we are satisfied in Him, He's glorified in us. When we are satisfied in anything other than Him, He's not glorified in us. And so when we go to Him and say, Lord, change my circumstances so that I can glorify You, 
We need to address our hearts. Ultimately, He is the only source of satisfaction. Ultimately, He is our only peace. Ultimately, He is the most important person who's ever lived. And when we are most satisfied in Him, what the world sees is He's most glorified in us. And so there's, there's the difficulty for us. What it leads to is a place where we have to go, Lord, I want you above all else. A place where our hearts desire Christ above all else, regardless of our circumstances, where we will ask ourselves constantly, in my circumstance in this moment, how can I most glorify you? It leads us to the place of Matthew 16 and verse 24, that familiar passage where Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. See, for the longest time I thought, I thought my cross was the difficulties of life, the, the hardship at work, the, the people who kind of bump into you. I, I call them sandpaper people. Those, those people God puts in your life to rub the rough edges off your character. I always thought, well, that's my cross. The car breaking down is my cross. The kids acting up. Finances, illness, those things are all my cross. And then I came to a realization, and it wasn't a pretty one, but I came to the realization that I found my cross. I know what it is. Here it is. I am my cross. My feelings towards others, my reactions, my sinful desires. It's nothing that happens out here. It's all taking place in here. I need to take up this cross every day and follow Christ. And the way I do that is by going through these three steps, realizing that I'm not God, that I can't control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and that my life is unmanageable. First principle. Second principle, believe that God exists, that I matter to Him and He wants me to recover. And then the third principle, the most difficult one of all, consciously choose in every single moment of my day to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. That's how I take up my cross. That's how I deny myself every day. That's how I follow Him. And, you know, there's a whole lot of stumbling and falling and scraped knees and elbows in that process. When you're carrying a cross that's this heavy, there's a lot of falling down. But when I take that step back towards surrender. He picks it up. He picks me up. He carries me along. And now I can find a way to choose him above myself. So I would just encourage you to walk through those three principles, those three ideas daily. Press into it. Go there. And that's not the end of the process. That's just the beginning. There's five other ones after that. I guess this is kind of a... a advertisement, a, a bait and switch on you. But if you want to find out the other five ones, come to the, the uh, central campus tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. And you'll, you can see what the other five are as you walk through the process of, of going through the, the program of Celebrate Recovery that we all need to be in. But the truth of it is, if we can find a way to press into Him in every circumstance, to, to take that act of surrender, of worship, of placing him in the preeminent spot of everything in my life, then I'm going to start to find healing. I'm going to start to find that Zoe. I'm going to be made into the person he made me to be, not the person this world or myself has made me to be. That's the path of true healing. You know, I know that 
we're all still struggling with things every day. I know we are. And I know those things range from illness to circumstances that are far beyond our ability to manage them. I know that. And I, and I don't want to diminish or minimize that hurt and that pain. But I also know that the only resolution to that is Christ. I know that the only thing that will make that different is Him. And it's such a freeing place when you get to that spot where your circumstances don't change, but they all of a sudden don't weigh near as much. That's what He invites us into. He invites us into the place where we're not so concerned about what He does out here, but the change inside of us gives us the strength to carry a burden that yesterday was knocking us down. That's what Jesus meant when he said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. See, the thing is, we all have a yoke on. What he was saying is, I'm not going to let you live without a yoke. I can't do that, because as long as you're in this world, you have one. It's probably you, but you have one. But I'll give you the choice. You can choose the one you got, or you can choose mine. Mine's light, mine's easy. Or you can get that rough, hard, tight one that you've been carrying around, leave it on your neck and it'll bruise you and cut you. But just choose. Just choose one. See, we can't live burden-free here, but we can live with his burden instead of ours. And that's the invitation today. There's going to be people around that would love to pray for you. If you have any hurt, habit, or hang-up that you would like prayer with, if you know somebody who has one, you know, one of the best things about Christ is when we see that story in Luke where the paralytic's friends pick him up on a mat and they carry him to Jesus, and then they lower him through the roof. We don't know if that guy wanted to go or not. His friends wanted to take him. If you have a friend, a loved one in your life, a family member, that needs to be carried to Christ today, will you come up and pray with one of our prayer partners that's going to be here? We'd love to help you with that. If you have never accepted Christ, come talk to somebody. Brian and myself and Brian, and we'd love to talk to you about that. But understand this, life is hard, life is difficult. He's the only one that can help us carry it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that, that you're a God who we matter to, that you're a God who loves us and desires the best for us. And Lord, we just come to you now. We, we know that we have all kinds of hurts, habits, and hang-ups in our lives that need to be resolved, that keep us at distance from you, God. But I pray that we press into those today desiring only to bow down before you to worship your son and glorify him and find a way to glorify you in our circumstances. Father, I know there's hurting people in this room and Father, I pray that there's nothing I've said that minimizes that hurt but perhaps only shows a way to carry that to you. We're so thankful and grateful that you've given us access through your son and we just lift this time up to you in his name.